You may be seated. Whenever we open the Bible, we become time travelers. My name is Stephen. I'm one of your pastors here at Hope, and I will be your tour guide to first century Galilee this morning. We'll start in the first century, end in the 21st century, and learn along the way from the sparrows and the wildflowers that God's got this. But first, let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, illuminate your word to us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may know and hear from you, Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us in a profound and personal way that we may leave here not only informed, but transformed by your word. Help us, Lord, not to worry, not to be anxious, but to trust you. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There was no email announcing the event, no YouTube ads or notifications on your smartphone. But the summer's breeze carried the crowd's commotion through the open window. Jesus is in town. You've heard his prayers heal the sick. You've heard his words fix the broken. You slip on your sandals, step out into the late afternoon sun, and make your way up that hillside on the outskirts of Tabga, that open-air marketplace overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And there he is, Jesus of Nazareth, just about to start his now-famous Sermon on the Mount. He opens with what we now call Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're poor, all right? Check. He continues in Matthew 5, 13, you're the salt of the earth. You've got salt on your shopping list. Speaking of which, when does the market close again? You're worried you won't make it in time. Then there's Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, that's easy enough. You work your fingers to the bone, and you still can't afford decent clothes. Jesus can tell you have a lot on your mind and a lot on your plate. And so in our gospel reading for today, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus tackles anxiety. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Imagine yourself on that first century hillside. What would you worry about? Jesus mentions three things. Food, drink, clothes. First, there's food. Earlier, Jesus prayed, Give us today our daily bread. You would love if God simply gave you daily bread. You spend hours each day grinding grain between two stones, mixing dough and baking. Who's making bread if I'm here listening to Jesus, you wonder? That's just bread. You still need protein. Chickpea, bean, and lentil stews form the mainstays. Occasionally, there's fish or even meat from sacrificed animals. 
You heat everything on ceramic cookware. There are two brands, the budget brand from Gaul and the luxury brand from Aventine. Doesn't that just sound like a luxury brand? Aventine. Of course, you can only afford Gaul. Guests always seem to notice. The rich have cheese from their goats, eggs from their chickens, vegetables from their gardens, and fruit from their vineyards. But you have to buy all those things from market. The cost of groceries keeps going up. You'd be broke if you bought everything you wanted. Just remember to get extra food on Friday, because Saturday is the Sabbath when kitchen chores are on hold until sundown. Second, there's drink. Imagine life without indoor plumbing. Your first chore of the day is fetching water from the Sea of Galilee. It's a short walk, but hard work, hauling enough water for washing, drinking, cooking, and feeding livestock. Or watering livestock, rather. You don't exactly have beachside real estate, so it takes multiple trips with a tall jar balanced on your hip, head, or shoulder. What if I sprained my ankle following Jesus up this hillside, you wonder? How would I fetch water for tomorrow? You're hosting guests in your home tomorrow, so you'll want to serve wine, not just water. If you buy the cheap wine, you worry you'll look cheap. If you buy the expensive wine, you worry your budget won't stretch till the end of the month. Finally, there's clothes. Department stores don't exist, so you weave what you wear. Two wool rectangles stitched together at the sides and shoulders form a simple tunic. It's colorless because you can't afford the dye. A scarf on your head keeps the sun off your skin. Even with your dark olive complexion, you can still sunburn. You'd love to wear bright colors. Wearing colorless wool on that grassy hillside, you'll look like a sheep. The middle class step it up a notch, with coats and dresses layered over the top, dyed sky blue, saffron yellow, mint green. The deeper the color, the more expensive the dye. The upper class step it up further with gold, jewels, and fine linens of royal blue, deep red, or even Tyrian purple the most expensive of them all. Tyrian purple was sourced from only one place, the Phoenician coast's Murex sea snail. It took 10,000 of these snails to produce a single gram of dye, which is still sold today for $100,000 an ounce. Royals like Solomon wore purple. Purple was worth more than gold. All the bling and bright colors impress, but they don't impress Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd, inviting plain people in colorless wool into the kingdom of God. Jesus invites us to a simpler way of life, a modest way of life, free from worrying about the latest trends, 
free from window shopping other people's lives, free from spending money we don't have to impress people we don't like. So Jesus continues in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? My wife and I grow strawberries in our garden. The birds ate the first patch, so we installed bird netting. They got through and ate the second patch, so we raised the bird netting and were hopeful about the third. Sparrows were pests in Jesus' day, too. Yet God knows and cares for every single one of them. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. As the hymn goes, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. Why worry? There's nothing too big that God cannot handle. And there's nothing too small that God won't care. And so Jesus continues in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. As you listen to Jesus, you notice the wildflowers that dot the hillside. Botanists would later call them anemone coronaria, the lilies of the field. They're not technically lilies. They're actually a broadleaf weed, useless except as fire starter. Yet, you can't help but noticing their color. What was the color the wealthiest wore? Do you remember? Take a look at the lilies of the field. Purple. Like Solomon's royal robes. Purple. Like the dye worth more than gold. Without sewing a stitch, without spending a coin, these worthless wildflowers are more beautiful than the most expensive garment on the hillside. And they did nothing to earn it. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The rabbis call this the kal vachomer argument. The how much more argument. There were many variations, something like this. If God has been faithful all your life, how much more, will he be faithful now? If God has brought you through all of this, how much more, will he be faithful? Will he bring you through this? I had my own moment in college. It was a cold December night. I'd been studying for a big exam. The more hours I spent, the more anxious I became. 
My fingers drummed against the desk. My heels began to bounce, and my stress felt overwhelming. I remember standing up almost reflexively, putting on my coat, snow pants, lacing up my boots, and trudging out into a snowy field, where I did a trust fall, more of a trust flop backwards onto the snow. There, I gazed at the stars. And there, God spoke to me. Be still and know that I am God. I felt my anxiety melt away, just as the snowflakes melted on my nose. I began thinking, if God knows every star in the sky, how much more does he know my worries? If God holds every planet in orbit, how much more does he hold my life in his hand? Here I am, rotating a thousand miles an hour around this rock called Earth, orbiting a hundred miles, the speed, a hundred times the speed of sound around this star called the Sun. That's Mach 100 for you Top Gun fans. And I'm just held in place, just a normal Sunday. There are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy, millions of galaxies in our universe. And Psalm 33, 6 says, the Lord breathed and all the stars were born. How big is our God? And that same star-breathing God stoops low to care for sparrows and wildflowers. How much more does he care for you and me? On that snowy field, I caught a cold, but I also caught this. When our God is big, our worries are small. That's why Jesus says in verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says the pagans, those who do not yet know God, they stress out about all these things. But as believers, we don't need to stress. All we need to do is take the next step forward in faith. The next step forward in following Jesus. And how do we know what next step to take? Ask God. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say, don't feel anxious. What does he say? Don't be anxious. As Christians, we still experience anxiety, but we have the power to trade our anxiety for the peace of Christ. Just pray 
God, I feel anxious right now. Show me the next step to take. Then follow. The door to his kingdom is wide open. The road to his righteousness is well marked. And so Jesus ends the chapter in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When my grandmother passed away, she left behind a journal and in it these words. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. There's a difference between worrying and planning. Worrying is dwelling on negative thoughts. Planning is taking positive steps. Back in first century Galilee, the sun's about to set. So your next steps are back home to your thatched roof cottage where food still needs preparing, water still needs fetching, and clothes still need mending. Yet somehow everything is different because somehow you now know that God is with you in your struggle. Somehow you now know that your whole life is headed in the right direction, in the direction of a kingdom that will never end, and a king with arms wide open waiting for you. And so our gospel reading ends, and our time machine takes us back home. How do we live what we've learned? There once was a guy stranded in a flood. The waters rose to his waist. A boat came to rescue him, but he refused, saying, God will save me. The waters rose to his shoulders. A helicopter came to rescue him, but he refused, saying, God will save me. The waters rose above his head, and he drowned. He stood before God and asked, God, why didn't you save me? God replied, I sent a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? All my life, I've struggled with anxiety. For years, I've prayed for God to heal me. Yet, I refused help. This year, I accepted help. I started counseling, medication, and I've never felt better. God sent me a boat and a helicopter. It took a long time, but I finally said, yes. When you feel anxious, talk to God and also listen to God. He may heal your anxiety on the spot. He may prompt you to text a friend, hug a loved one, write down everything you're thankful for, or take a walk. He may convict you to guard your Sabbath or get professional help. Talk to God. Listen to God.
and take the next step. God sent you a boat. He sent you a helicopter. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, that same star-breathing God stooped low and walked among us. He taught on that flower-dotted hillside. He died on that old rugged cross. And he rose from the grave so that you and I can have a new life as he had a new life. Free from stress, worry, anxiety, and filled with his joy and his peace. When the floodwaters of anxiety rise, remember, talk to God, listen to God. His eyes are on the sparrows and the wildflowers. And I know he watches over you. Amen. Father God, we stress and worry about so many things. Help us to know, truly know, that there is nothing too big that you can't handle and nothing too small that you won't care. Your eyes are on the sparrows and the wildflowers. Help us to trust that you watch over us. Help us to talk to you, to listen to you, and to take the next steps. We ask this in your precious and powerful name, Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.